Before we dive into today's incredible episode, I wanted to let you know that Publish the Personal is back. It is a fan favorite class that always sells out and it's starting back up on April 3rd. I teach you how to write and publish your personal essays so that they're no longer just sitting on your laptop collecting dust. And if you've had rejections rolling in and you don't know why, I'm going to teach you the exact strategy for getting your essays published already. So you'll want to join us. You can find out all the info at nadinekennyjohnstone.com. Now on to today's episode. When I look back at habits that I'm really proud of, they're the ones where I've gotten to connect with other people. This is Heart of the Story, and I'm Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'm an author and holistic writing coach who talks with today's top women writers about how to navigate life when things don't go according to plan. These impactful conversations and personal reflections invite you to be seen, feel supported, and ultimately fall back in love with yourself. So let's go together to that honest, powerful place the heart of the story. Hi, friends. I recently surveyed a small group of people in my writing community to see what they want from me in terms of teaching and coaching and the topics for me to talk about on this podcast. And I'm going to link that survey in the show notes so that you can also give me your feedback as well. But just from the small batch of people that I've pulled already, there was a through line of a particular topic that people are wanting me to speak on. And that is habits, daily habits, creating and keeping regular habits, habits that keep us well, habits that keep us creative, habits that we're wanting to prioritize. And before you go, oh my gosh, I cannot add another thing to my already overflowing schedule, this is not that sort of episode. So take a big sigh of relief. This is not going to be the episode where I talk about leveling up and, you know, being like a boss babe kind of situation. Great if you have that amount of energy and awesome for you. But I find that the majority of women that I speak with already have very overflowing lives. They are really struggling to create and keep practices that they really enjoy and they feel lost and they don't know what to do. So I'm going to be speaking personally, not only from my own experience, as a busy working mother about how I keep and create habits that I love and that keep me healthy. But I'm also going to be speaking from the perspective of someone who's been teaching creative writing since 2008. And what I've witnessed are some of the patterns that I see that distinguish the writers who maintain a regular practice versus the writers 
who haven't written for years and years and can't seem to keep that practice up or writers who want to be writing more and just can't seem to get into that groove. And you are not alone is what I want to say. Whether you have not done your beloved habit in years, decades, months, weeks, or even days, you know when it's not enough. You can feel it. It's an itchiness inside when you want to be doing something more and you can't seem to maintain that practice. This is the antidote of that because the last thing that we need is someone telling us to do more, okay? So let's talk about how we can sustainably maintain habits that we love and find joy. Okay, let's do that. Years ago, I went on a writing retreat and it was in Guatemala. I'd never done anything like this. I'd never you know, gone on such a, an amazing sort of adventure. And I was so thrilled to be there. I was also in a deeply personal, hard time in my life. I was in the throes of infertility and it was really difficult. And I kind of went on this retreat to heal. And every morning at the start of our day, the host and a small group of us would go swimming. It was in Lake Atitlan in San Marcos, and it was gorgeous. I mean, just imagine the backdrop of these green, lush volcanoes. Beautiful, beautiful. And before we jumped in one day, it was a particularly cold morning, there was a bit of trepidation and like, oh, do we really want to do this and go in? We're warm and cozy out of the water. The host said, I've never regretted a swim. I've never regretted a swim. And it just struck me and I kind of tattooed it into my brain because I realized that there were a handful of activities that I never regretted yet I often dreaded. It struck me that one of those activities that I never regretted was a writing session. I've never regretted writing. I have never regretted meditating. I've never regretted going for a walk. I've never regretted hugging my husband. I've never regretted jumping on the trampoline with my son. And yet sometimes we put off certain activities or we feel like we don't have enough time, which might be true. And we put so much pressure on the thing or we hold it in such high regard or we overwhelm it with perfectionism that we avoid it. And what I began to realize is that the opposite is then true which is that I always regret wanting to write but having not written. I always regret wanting to meditate but not making the time for it. So the very first thing I want to talk about in terms of habit forming and keeping 
is this regret test. It might be really helpful in a journal or just in your brain on a walk to make a list of the things that you never regret doing and or to make a list of the things you always regret not doing or having not done. This is a very clarifying list because whenever I'm about to approach a block of time that I may have delegated for a certain thing, like say meditating, and I start going, oh, but you know, it's too noisy. There's too much going on in the space around me to get quiet. Oh, you know, I really should be using this time to make dinner or answer an email or what have you. I say the regret line in my head. You have never regretted a meditation session, but you always regret having not meditated. And that is the first thing that kind of gets me into the right headspace. So that's number one, the regret test that will, first of all, allow you to even see what habits you wish to prioritize more. The ones that are on that list are the ones that you hold in high regard and probably are the ones you want to be doing more of. The next thing I'll say in terms of habit forming is that, as I mentioned in my intro, we don't need someone harping on us to talk about all the things we should be doing more of when we're already doing so much. And I know that's kind of counterintuitive to what I was just talking about, but sometimes what we actually need is to make more meaning out of the thing that we're already doing. I have a friend that I was in a mastermind with She's a therapist, and we were talking about our very busy lives as busy working moms one day, and she said so many of the clients that come into my office are busy working moms, and they just are overwhelmed with so much to do. And she says to them, what if you made more meaning out of what you're already doing? And what I took that to mean as soon as I heard those words, because I thought that they were so poignant, was when you're eating, eat and make it a ceremony, make it sacred. When you are talking to a beloved, give them your full attention and make it important. Make it mean something. If you are walking Give it your presence and let it be a sacred act. And that doesn't mean to overwhelm it with perfectionism. It means let's stop just passing through these activities that could be very meaningful and allow them to be something really powerful, almost reverent. Like when you're eating, you're honoring the food. You are looking at the food. You are indulging your senses. You are slowly chewing. You are tasting all of the ingredients. Let these moments be sacred in your life by honoring them with your attention and your presence. And that might be 
this sort of quote unquote habit that you're actually looking for. It isn't about doing more. It's about being there for what you're already doing. I talked about it in my newsletter and my solo retreat episode, but I want to have a for here attitude. When I went on my solo retreat in January to Fairhope, I typically would order things to go if I'm somewhere because I'm always to going, I'm always going somewhere. And I went to a beautiful coffee shop where they had great mugs and beautiful plates. And I ordered my lunch for here. And it meant more than just for here. It meant that I was here. I was present. I wanted to be and have a for here attitude. And that's what making meaning of what you're already doing does. It gives you a for here attitude and presence. So that's number two of this whole habit idea is that it's not always about action. It's about perspective. So in terms of that perspective, it might be helpful to again make a list, this time a for here attitude list, meaning making list of write down a list of the things that you already do on a daily basis that you can then next to them draw a little star or highlight or whatever you want to delineate to show I can make more meaning from that experience. It could be more sacred. I can give it my presence. And just see, start there. Rather than adding more, highlight what you already have. This leads to the third thing, which is the what's working. I love in my journal doing what's working, what's not working lists. Um, Emily P. Freeman does this and talks about it all the time. She also does the what's life-giving and what's life-draining. That's a great list comparison to do. So she does both of those. She talks about them. And I have done versions of this myself as well, where let's focus on what habits are already working for you. What actions are you doing on a regular basis that bring you peace, health, joy, love, contentment, inspiration, any goodness. Make note of them. Let's celebrate those. And let's also look at them as evidence of how to create and keep other things that you want to be a part of your regular routine. This isn't something that I have thought up, but many different people talk about this where typically the more convenient a habit is, the more likely it is to be done, the more accountability you have around a habit also the more likely it is to be done, the more invested you are to the actual thing because you genuinely enjoy it and want it, the more likely it is to be done. So in general, the more support and scaffolding you have around a habit, the more likely it is 
to succeedingly be a part of your sustaining routine. Let me give you an example. First and foremost, let's talk about the convenience factor. When something is in close proximity and when something is easy to do, then you're more likely to do it. For years, when we lived in Illinois and I was a professor at a university, I had an hour and 10, hour and 15 minute commute into the city. It was a long ride. I had to wake up at 4.45 a.m. in order to work out on my way to go to the university. And I had to essentially be in my office there by 7.30, 7.40 at the latest because I had to teach just after 8. So what is going to make someone wake up in the dark in the winter at 4.45 a.m. <laughs> if they could wake up mm, an hour and a half later when it's light out and a little bit more inviting. What was making me go do that workout before the teaching? I made it as convenient as I possibly could. I allowed myself to roll out of bed in my pajamas and wear my pajamas to the yoga studio. And in my car, every Sunday, I basically packed a huge gym bag full of workout outfits one time with everything that I needed. It was already in my car. The yoga mat was already in my car. That way, when I woke up in the morning, I didn't have to get the yoga bag ready. I didn't have to go looking for the yoga mat. I didn't have to change out of my warm, fuzzy pajamas into you know, a cold spandex outfit. <laughs> I tried to make it as convenient for myself as possible. I chose a yoga studio that was on the way to the university. So it was like a halfway point. So it broke up my ride. And all of those factors allowed it to be an easier habit to keep. Also, I needed to work out around other people. I needed to keep that accountability. I needed to do an exercise that I didn't have to think up myself because I already do enough brain work during any given day. I wanted someone to tell me what to do. So I went to a studio where a teacher was teaching a class rather than trying to think up my own routine at home. So let me explain to you how that works for other people. I was recently coaching a woman who is very, very busy. She has a very important job. She lives in New York City. She has kids and she wants to prioritize her writing practice and tap back into this creative fire that she hasn't tapped into in quite a while. And every now and again, what would happen for her is that she'd be on an airplane and she would have a sudden writing spurt and she would just be in the flow and she would write and write and write. And it was like magic. And then she couldn't touch it again. Like she couldn't get into that space for so long after that. And so we started working together and she 
was asking, the question that just about every writer who comes to me asks, which is like, how do I write more? (laughs) And of course, first it starts with the mindset of making it so much less overwhelming and so much less important and so much less perfectionist than it actually is. So Anne Lamont's, you know, shitty first draft mentality where let's just go write the worst thing that ever existed. Who cares? So first it starts with a mindset, not making it a perfectionist activity. But then it's also how do we create this scenario that works for the person? So I asked her what her typical schedule looked like and it's busy there aren't extra hours in the day. There is no extra time. And when someone says to me, well, I'm just going to have to wake up a half an hour earlier or an hour earlier, I actually do something you probably would be surprised by. And I say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't tell me you're going to do that because you're already setting yourself up for failure. If you are already maxed out and you have like no hours in the day and you're already sleep deprived, the likelihood of you waking up and not pressing snooze with that alarm that's going to go off even earlier than you already wake up, that likelihood is low, low. So I said, let's look at what you're already doing. And so I said, I want to find a way to take that plane-like scenario, the, the all of the characteristics of being on an airplane, and how do we recreate that in your regular life? And so I said, okay, what's the beauty of an airplane? You're not attached to Wi-Fi. You're not being interrupted, especially if you're like doing a solo business trip or something. You're not being interrupted constantly. You're not, the demands of a household are not at the beck and call, you know, laundry isn't calling to you, so on and so forth. You don't have much else to do. So I said, tell me about your week and let's just kind of see where we might find these pockets. And she said, as she was talking about everything, well, I take this subway to work twice a week. I have to go into the office. And I said, bingo, (laughs) bingo, bingo. Okay. You've got a 20 minute subway ride. What might you usually do? Scroll through your phone, right? You already have a pocket where there's going to be no child or spouse vying for your attention. Okay, that's part of the scenario. Good. You are in an enclosed space. You can't really go anywhere to evade the activity. So basically the only thing you're going to be battling is if you get Wi-Fi on the train, the temptation to scroll. So I said, what if one out of the two subway rides becomes your plane-like writing time where you just type into your phone whatever ideas come to you, whatever story ideas come to you. It's your timer that you're setting for yourself, so to speak. 20 minutes once a week. There. And why does something like that work better than the waking up earlier? for all the reasons I just said, but also it's habit stacking, essentially. 
you're just stacking one habit on top of another. And so many habit experts talk about this. But I noticed this in my own life when I wanted to years ago really develop a daily meditation habit and practice. I noticed that when I would drop my son off at piano lessons, that I had this half an hour of extra time. It was too little time to go all the way back home and then turn around. So I had to just kind of stay put, stay nearby. And the scrolling on the phone was something I always regretted. So instead, I thought to myself, well, I could use that half hour to meditate. And so it became that I would either sit in my car or if it was a nice day, I'd sit out on a bench outside the building in the sun. And I would already have a couple meditations on my phone from Insight Timer that I kind of saved them up like a treat I really wanted to listen to. And I would choose like two of them that were say 12 or 15 minutes each. And then I would sit there and play them and meditate. And that because I could do that, became this regular thing that I looked forward to. And then I started noticing, okay, what time of the day does that happen? Usually around 3, 3.30, okay. So other days of the week, what am I doing around that time? And can I do a similar practice? And it just became the access point, the entry door into what is now a very regular meditation practice. And the body starts then remembering, the muscle memory of it, the body starts remembering. But it's a habit stacking, just like I call my sister on the ride to go get my son every day from school or a few times a week, I'll call her at that two o'clock mark when I'm driving to go get my son from school. And I know I'm going to be spending 20 minutes in the carpool line just waiting as the traffic inches up. It's habit stacking. I'm already in the car. It's already a 20 minute window, nothing to do. Let me talk to someone beloved so we can still stay connected despite our distance. So for you, two things, how do you make it convenient and what can you stack? The convenience is not just luck. Also, the convenience is a forward thinking. When I picked out those meditations that I knew I was going to do on piano day, I was forward thinking. On Sundays, when I packed the gym bag with a week's worth of workout clothes and put the bag and the yoga mat in the back of my car, that was forward thinking that made it convenient. So how can we do that in our own lives? I already talked about it a little bit, but time, time is key. When I have all the time in the world, I get nothing done. Nothing. I, it's just like, ugh so frustrating. I mean, rarely do we have all the time in the world anyway, but if I have a day without uh, many things going on and I'm like, oh, this is going to be the day, I spend way too long overthinking, dreading, leading up, all this stuff. It is just mind-boggling. Whereas constricted time makes our overthinking shush. 
a little bit. So in my writer workout class where we meet every Monday, it's a membership group. They know that I'll talk for a little bit, give examples, models, craft talks, prompts, but then I'll be setting the timer and we're going to write from anywhere between 20 and 30 minutes. And guess what? The writing gets done. (laughs) Because I say go and don't stop. And I reference the kind of flow writing that Natalie Goldberg has talked about forever, which is don't stop. Don't go back and edit. Keep writing. Keep the pen moving. Even if it's the worst junk, especially allow yourself to write the worst junk. That's what we're going for. And even when you think you have nothing to write, just write, I have nothing to write until you have something to write. So the same could be said for anything the 20 minute timer, the 15 minute timer. When my son is having a hard time with homework, I'll say, okay, Alexa, set the timer for 10 minutes. And I'll say, let's just see what we can get done in 10 minutes. And it just, it's like, oh, 10 minutes. I can do 10 minutes, right? (laughs) It's such a, a trick of the mind and I love it. So the time constraint is really, really helpful, I find. And also, the opposite is true. Sometimes for longer things, like some of us are working on books, some of us are training for half marathons, wild people, some of us are are working on something that takes longer periods of time and more endurance and can't be done in 20 minutes. And what then? I hear you. I am one of you too. I was a long-distance runner for years and years and years. I ran the Chicago Marathon. I have put out two books. Those are, gosh, endurance projects. So I get that. The 20-minute thing isn't always enough. So what do you do then and what do you need then? Quite frankly, what you need is accountability. You need someone else. When I trained for the marathon, my friend Katie and I trained together. We were in college, sophomores in college, and I loved it because it kept me from, you know, tailgating and doing any number of other dumb things that college kids do. I trained instead. We went for long runs on Saturdays and then short runs during the week. So partner. When I revised my first book of This Much, I'm Sure, I had a writing buddy, Steph. We met at Starbucks a couple times a week, and we wrote side by side. We would catch up a little bit, and then we we would write side by side. For years, when I moved from Chicago to Massachusetts, and I was just trying to keep my writing going post-MFA, I would just send pages to my friends back home, and I said to them, I'm going to send you 15 pages every two weeks, and if I don't, if you don't hear from me, you have the right to, you know, check in and go, what the heck, what's going on? When you give someone else your word, when you do something else side by side with another person, it makes all of the difference. This podcast would not exist if I didn't have my producer, dear producer Michelle, to really be keeping me accountable. For example, this solo episode. There are a million other things that 
I could be doing right now. But Michelle and I have developed a schedule and we have a certain number of episodes we like to have in the queue, as we call it. And we also like to keep on a steady pace of getting an episode in every week, whether it's an interview or a solo episode. And it's that doesn't sound romantic, but it's everything. Look, here we are three years into this podcast because I have an accountability partner keeping me accountable to send something to her every single week. That's why this show is at over three years. Okay. So can you find an accountability partner or group? And last thing I'll say, I had published the personal uh, fan favorite class that ended in February and a new one is beginning April 3rd. And at the end of it, people always say, oh my gosh, we did so much in six weeks. I wrote this many pieces and I submitted this many essays and I never submit anything. And like, how did we get so much done in six weeks? I can't believe it. I got more done in these six weeks than I've gotten done in, you know, six months or six years. (laughs) And it's always like this, what just happened? And it's all of those things. It's that we're together. There's accountability constraint of time. There are deadlines. It's convenient. You just hop on Zoom, (laughs) right? And you prioritize it. That's why things like that work. So I hope that today your brain got to thinking about maybe what you want to give more meaning to, what habits you never regret doing, but you always regret not doing, how to make things more convenient, how to create stackable habits, how to have accountability, how to possibly create time constraints. Those are some of the key factors that go into maintaining daily or weekly or regular habits. And then you look back and you go, wow, look at what those habits built. Those habits can build books. Those habits can create companies. Those habits can deepen relationships. Those habits can do so, so much. I think in the end, when I look back at habits that I'm really proud of, They're the ones where I've gotten to connect with other people, where I prioritize talking to my sister, where I prioritize playing with my son, where I prioritize tapping into my creativity with other creatives, where I prioritize having conversations with other women writers, women wellness experts, incredible women in general on this podcast. I never regret a moment of that. So today, what are the things that you never regret doing? Let me know. I'm on Instagram at Nadine Kenny Johnstone. And also... 
don't forget that Publish the Personal starts on April 3rd. It always sells out. You won't want to miss it. It's our six-week class so that you can write and publish your personal essays. It is a fan favorite. So many people from that class have gotten published. I think at this point, 10 of them have gotten into the New York Times. I mean, it's just incredible. You won't want to miss it starting up soon. You can find all the links for everything in the show notes and also everything on my website, meetingkennyjohnstone.com. Michelle Rado, thank you for being my accountability partner. And remember everyone, every heart has a story and every story has a heart. See you next week. Thank you.